Let's open the Word of God to John chapter 12, the 31st verse, and remind ourselves of three transcendent events that Jesus summarized a couple of days before his crucifixion. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. There is a prophetic school of interpretation that has taken the entire New Testament and made it into a parenthesis. God hadn't planned it. No prophets had ever seen it. It just happened because the Jews didn't take a carnal, earthly, physical kingdom that Jesus and John offered them. All of that, all that I just said was totally false. But that is a school of prophetic interpretation that we have to deal against. Some of us were raised in it in order to understand verses like these. Um, thank you, Caleb, for reminding me because I was going so fast through Daniel chapter 9 when I mentioned the 70 weeks. I mentioned the parenthesis. You know, they say that there is no Old Testament prophecy at all about the church. Though we have read numerous prophecies from Moses to David to Isaiah today about the church, let alone all the ones we didn't read, and that we're in a parenthesis called the church age because C.I. Schofield said so. And so they have this indeterminate, unknown, unprophesied, unseen church age. Jesus is hanging around in heaven in some state of limbo, waiting for him to be crowned with glory and honor, set on David's throne, and rule over some pitiful little earthly kingdom they call the millennium. When the New Testament teaches us that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, ascended up into heaven, was crowned with glory and honor, and received David's throne, and has been reigning over a spiritual kingdom, yet entirely literal, but literal spiritually for 2,000 years. That indeterminate parenthesis for Paul's ministry and the kingdom of Jesus Christ also applies to the 70 weeks of Daniel. And I mentioned that book by Philip Morrow, and I highly recommend it, the one that gives you the freebie at the end with chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Daniel. The 70 weeks of Daniel are those four verses we read from Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. 70 weeks are determined. When God gives a determinate prophecy, how long do you think it takes when he says it's 70 weeks long? 70 weeks. Could it take 69? Could it take 71? Never, never, never. But they stick a 2,000-year indeterminate, indeterminate gap between week 69 and 70. There is no gap in a 70-year prophecy. There can't be a gap in a 70-year prophecy. It doesn't say there's a gap in a 70-year prophecy. They force a gap into the 70-year prophecy. C.I. Schofield also forced a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. But there isn't a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and there isn't one in Daniel 9 in the 70 weeks. That's where they get their seven-year tribulation because there is no seven-year tribulation taught anywhere in the Bible. But they have ripped the 70th week out of Daniel chapter 9 and flung it into the future, and they don't know how far. Because it's an indeterminate amount of time. It's already been 2,000 years. We've already run another 200 weeks of years. But it was a 70-year prophecy. And in the midst of that 70th week, Messiah was cut off, not for himself, but for you and me. That 70th week was right there because it says Messiah shall be cut off after 69 weeks. If you're cut off after 69 weeks, what week are you cut off in? The 70th week. And it says in the middle of that week, he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to cease because he ripped the veil of the temple from top to bottom to open the way into God because the sacrificial system of Moses was over because Jesus Christ had finished the work of opening the way for us to God. We are dealing right now with the judgment of this world because there was a new king installed over the universe under God and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. 
There is no gap. Jesus is not in limbo. Jesus has been reigning far above all principalities, powers, throne, might, dominion, every name that is named in this world and the world to come. Already for 2,000 years because Paul's wrote it over and over and over and over again. There is no hope held out for Israel, but for the hope of this very same kingdom that is made up of converted Jews and Gentiles. Jesus broke the middle wall of partition down. There's no difference between Greeks and Jews. Jews and Gentiles. We're all one body now because of Jesus Christ. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12, let's see the kingdom. Hebrews 12. The book of Hebrews has has a unique name. Hebrews. You know, Galatians. Those were to the churches of Galatia. Ephesians was to the church of Ephesus. Hebrews is to the Jews. Hebrews is to Israel. Hebrews is to converted Jews. What did Paul offer them? Do you remember what I told you in the first service? In in Hebrews 11, Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Abraham did not care about anything on this earth, that he sought for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he wasn't looking for a city on earth. Was there a city of Jerusalem on earth at that time? Yes. What was the name of its king? Mel, thank you. Melchizedek, king of Salem, short name of Jerusalem, king of Salem. So there was that city, but Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham wasn't looking for it. He was looking for a heavenly city. Now we have Hebrews 12 here. Hebrews 13 told the Jews, we have no continuing city on earth. You'd be surprised listening to a Zionist or a premillennialist. They're all wanting to take our money to buy more F-15s for Israel over there in the Middle East because they think there's a continuing city on earth But the Bible says there isn't a continuing city on earth. Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. Galatians chapter 4. It's the heavenly Jerusalem, and now I want to read it to you. Oh, Philip Morrow is good. You know, I've taught you all this before, but just being able to read him, be a champion 70, 80 years ago for these things was very encouraging. Hebrews chapter 12. This is the hope of Israel. This is the best Israel will ever have. And they ought to embrace it. And that's why Paul, what is the theme of the book of Hebrews? The preeminence of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is better than anything in the Old Testament, even though the Old Testament was God's religion. It was the religion of Jehovah. It was by revelation to Moses. It was God's religion, but everything in the New Testament is better. The promises are better. The covenants are better. The priesthood is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. That's why it's my favorite book of the Bible. Amen. Jesus is better. Right. Here is the hope of Israel. Hebrews chapter 12. He tells these Jews, these converted, believing, baptized Jews in the areas of Judea, It was not normally his ministry. His ministry was the Gentiles, far away. But they had him write this book, just like Peter wrote some epistles to help Paul with his converted Jews in those foreign cities. Anyway, verse 18, he he reminds them of the first kingdom they got from Mount Sinai, with Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. For ye are not come unto the mount, that's Mount Sinai, that might be touched, Remember, they had to put a barrier around it to keep animals away because if any animal passed the barrier, they were to be thrust through with darts. I mean, it was just serious business getting a kingdom from God and getting revelation from God. For ye are not come unto the mount which is Sinai that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet. This is all from Exodus. And the voice of words... Which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Israel begged God to stop talking because it was over, it was too much for them. Verse in parentheses, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now that's our setup. That is the Old Testament covenant with Moses and God's people of Israel. But ye are come, not ye shall come. This is the kingdom 
that the Jews needed to embrace. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, not the one in the Middle East, the one in heaven. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Brethren, we and every sincere, true Baptist church on earth that has a candlestick have come to this mount. We are part of a megachurch. Every Baptist church is part of a megachurch. Every Baptist church that is sincere and true and has a candlestick and is preaching a large measure of truth. It's a megachurch. How big's the choir? Well, John just gave up by saying 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's how he gave up in Revelation chapter 5. That's the angelic choir here that's called the innumerable company of angels. How big's the army of this kingdom? Same ones. Ever heard a military chorus? Why do you want to hear anything else? That's a minor point. I want you to love the verse. Ye are come, not ye shall come. Ye are come unto Mount Zion, but it's a heavenly Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Is that a pretty decent sounding church? Let's keep going because the sentence hasn't ended. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. The membership role of this church is the book of life, which are written in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, they're all there. This is part of our church. We just happen to be on earth, and they're in heaven. And the fullness of times, Jesus Christ is going to gather all together in one place. And we're getting very close to it. The sentence hasn't ended yet. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. All the way back to Abel and the sacrifices that he made that were acceptable to God, Jesus has has sacrifices that are better. That's one sentence. That is the hope of Israel right there. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the megachurch that we're part of. It doesn't ever get better than this, and there isn't anything else for Israel or anyone else. This is it. Jesus Christ is coming back in flaming fire with his mighty angels to wreak havoc on this world and to burn it up. And we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The the heavens and the earth will melt with a fervent heat, will be ushered into a new heavens and a new earth. The wicked will be cast into hell with, with the devil because the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. And we shall inherit the new heavens and the new earth. There's nothing else taught in the Bible. It's all made up because it's a Jewish fable. C.I. Schofield was a Jew. C.I. Schofield taught Jewish fables that there was going to be an earthly kingdom. It's what the rabbis all wanted. It's what all the nationalistic Jews wanted. They didn't care about spiritual things. We will not have this man to reign over us, they said of Jesus Christ. His blood be on us and on our children. It was. God destroyed that generation with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD with the greatest tribulation the world had seen, has seen, or ever will see. 1.1 million died within the city walls of Jerusalem. Only 65,000 died at Hiroshima. Only about 70,000 at Nagasaki. You've never seen a calamity upon a city. And listen, they died without pain. Listen, all they did was see a flash of light, and they probably didn't see the flash of light. But these people starved to death and killed each other. 1.1 million. They were counted by Josephus and the Roman armies surrounding the city, just like Jesus had prophesied. I'm going to have an army encompass you. They're going to dig a trench about you. They're going to pull your walls down. There's not going to be two stones left attached to each other. And you should be grieving for what's coming. The women on the road to Calvary were grieving and mourning about Jesus Christ. He said, grieve not for me. Grieve for yourselves and for your children. That is one generation when they're both living at the same time because of what's coming. It was terrible. But this was the kingdom that others took. And they escaped the city of Jerusalem just like Jesus had said. When you see the armies encompassing Jerusalem, flee from the city, flee to the mountains, and you can be saved there. So they left the city of Jerusalem Jesus had given practical warnings like, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath day when you'll be limited by roadblocks for how far you've traveled. Pray that you're not nursing children. Don't worry about the stuff that is in your house. When you know that the desolation of Jerusalem is nigh, then get out of there and get into the mountains. So they went across the Jordan River into Pella. Everyone's known that. It's ever read history, except premillennialists don't want you to know any of that history. 
They went, all went across the city. The, con, the converts, the believers of Jesus Christ, went across the, the Jordan River into Pella, into the mountains of Pella, the region on the other side from Jerusalem, and were all spared. And those days were shortened that the elect would survive. All this in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. But this is what they had. This is the kingdom right. that, that a believing Jew had offered to them. And there isn't anything else offered. Paul was a Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was trained by Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. His father was a Pharisee. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He didn't offer the Jews anything else but this. And he said in chapter 11, our father Abraham didn't want anything else. He wanted the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And in chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. That says so much. Yes, right. So I'm not going to pass the plate for you to give money for F-15s for Israel. Amen. Because we are the seed of Abraham. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, oh no, I don't want, let's not go there yet. Is there anything else we can say about Hebrews 12, verses 20 through 24, that one sentence? Look at that description of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You say, why are you calling it a kingdom? It's called the general assembly. Yes, it's a church. It's the church of the firstborn, because it says so. A church is a congregation. Its membership rolls the book of life. But why are you calling it a kingdom? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Now that's a short sentence. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Now remember, we have two covenants being compared. Mount Sinai, back there in verses 18 through 21, how terrible it was at Mount Sinai. But now Paul says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. If God is offering this, Compared to that, this deserves greater punishment for neglecting it. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The greater punishment for Jews that deserted the New Testament versus deserting the Old Testament. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the new covenant an unholy thing. Right. That's the book of Hebrews. I was quoting from 10. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on earth, that's God on Mount Sinai, and they didn't escape. They all died in the wilderness. Much more shall not we escape. Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. God's revelation didn't come from a mountain in the New Testament. It came from heaven through men called apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26, whose voice? This is God's voice in the scriptures. This is God's voice at Sinai, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, this is in the scriptures from Haggai 2, 6 through 9, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word... Yet once more, that God chose those words, yet once more, timing words, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of those that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. There's the kingdom. It can't be moved. It's never going to be shaken away. It's the final form of God's worship, and it's been here for 2,000 years. It simply moves on in to a new heaven and a new earth, into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is already in existence on earth in this form, and the spirits of just men made perfect are in heaven in the same kind of form of all around Jesus Christ. Now this quotation is from that wonderful passage in Haggai chapter 2. Haggai was a prophet sent by God to encourage that little group of Jews that came back from Babylon to build the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And as they laid the foundation for it, they were whining and crying because it was so small and insignificant. They didn't have the money of Solomon to make it look like Solomon's temple. And God stirred up Haggai to tell them, all the silver and the gold in the world is mine anyway. Right. This latter house is going to have greater glory than the former house. There's only two Jewish temples. There's not a third. If there's a third, you can know who's behind that one. Yeah. 
So are you going to send your money to that one? Because it's only going to be Satan. There's only two Jewish temples in the Bible. Because there's a new temple of Jews and Gentiles called the Church of the Living God that far exceeds any little piece of stone over there on a piece of sand called the nation of Israel. Right. This ladder house, when, when you use the word ladder, you're making a comparison. Right. How many are in the comparison? Two. You, two. If you use the word former and you're making a comparison, how many are in the comparison? Two. two. Because in that passage, it's the former house and the latter house. The former house is Solomon's, the latter house is Zerubbabel's. Haggai is encouraging Zerubbabel to build that second house. And he said, this latter house is going to have greater glory than the former house because the desire of all nations is going to come and visit this latter house and this latter house he's going to make peace. Rip! That was peace with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ when he said it is finished. The desire of all nations, the seed of the woman that was going to bruise the serpent's head, came and visited that temple when he was eight days old, every year for the feast. When he was 12, he entertained the doctors of the law. He did his miracles in there. He cleansed that temple, and he called it my father's house of prayer. And when he walked out of it the last time before his crucifixion, he said, your house is left unto you desolate because he destroyed it to the ground 40 years later. He said he would do all that within that generation that crucified him. But he set up a kingdom, and that's what we are trying to see so that we understand John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. This world's social, political system, religious system, got a new king, and the name is Jesus of Nazareth. We have looked at numerous Old Testament prophecies about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us a thumbnail sketch of world history from Nebuchadnezzar to the end. And there's five kingdoms. There's Babylon, there's Persia, there's Greece, there's Rome, there's Christ. We saw it in Daniel 2, we saw it in Daniel 7. And then we come to the New Testament. We looked at prophecies in Isaiah. We looked at prophecies in the Psalms. Hosea, Amos, Micah, Zechariah, and the, Gabriel, and the angel Gabriel to Mary about a kingdom. So we come to Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. We're going to turn pages a, few, a number of times. Let's not use the word few when it doesn't belong there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did he mean it? Amen. Was he offering a physical, earthly, carnal, worldly kingdom? Or was he offering a spiritual, literal, spiritual, religious kingdom of Jesus Christ? We've got to make a decision. Did he mean it? Or was he offering something sickly from the Old Testament? Or was he offering a new kingdom? C.I. Schofield says that John and Jesus offered a carnal, physical, earthly kingdom for a little piece of sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea for some earthly, worldly kingdom where Jews would be the chief master race and we would be their wood cutters and water haulers. It's not taught in the Bible. It's all man-made. Okay, if you were a Jew and you really didn't have anything going on in the world and everybody's persecuting you to fulfill Bible prophecy and you're just a byword and a proverb... Would, you have, would your nationalistic spirit latch on to anything that you could, that there's going to be a revival of physical, biological Jews in the history of the world so that you can be preeminent again? Yes, you would. And that's why they've done it. And a whole, bat, a whole gob, batch, group of relatively conservative Christians have followed them in the last 120 years. No one had thought about it 150 years ago. No one had thought about it 200 years ago. And our fathers in the faith certainly were thankful for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because they knew they were fulfilling the book of Revelation as they died at the hands of the Roman beast. Right. wasn't difficult for them, but things have changed. Truth has been lost in the world for fables. That's why all this left behind stuff, the world doesn't mind left behind because it's a carnal, earthly, worldly, religious idea that there's going to be something cool going on on earth sometime. 
But look at what we just read in Hebrews 12. Is it on earth or is it up there? Where's Jerusalem? Up there. Where's Mount Zion? Up there. Where's the church gathered? Where's the kingdom gathered? Where's the most of it? Up there. Who's it, who's it centered around? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The angels are involved. Right. It's an invisible kingdom here on earth. Anybody looking into this little batch of people and the pitiful surroundings that we have in our cheap building, you know they would look at it and say, how can that be the kingdom of God? Thank you very much. Because they used to meet in the catacombs, in the Bohemian forests, and in the, in the mountains of Wales. For hundreds of years they had to meet there. Hundreds and hundreds of years they met there. They, they met in facilities far worse than what we have. We're some of the pampered Baptists in the history of the world. Matthew 3, we've got to make a decision. Did John mean it? And was it fulfilled? He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How about 417? Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Was it at hand or not? Look at 11.12. Matthew, we could pick any one of the Gospels. It wouldn't matter. The Gospels are filled with this. Matthew 11 and verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So it was there, wasn't it? It wasn't coming. It was there. And what does it mean that the violent take it by force? They violently repented of their sins to get into it. Right. Because the corollary, the cross-reference for Matthew eleven twelve 12 is Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Men were pressing into the kingdom of God. It wasn't withdrawn. It wasn't a carnal kingdom ever offered to anybody. It was a spiritual kingdom around the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, and he reigns on his throne right now, and while others may want to take his glory and put him in limbo, waiting for some little ridiculous fantasy of a Jewish mind over there in Israel, I want to put him where he is, and I want to give you Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, as the best that there is. Amen. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I left that passage before we finished it. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And he consumed the old covenant and burned up Israel, its priesthood, altar, sacrifices, and temple, and everything, and gave us that in Hebrews 12. And that is a continuing city, but it's above. Because Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob were seeking for a heavenly country. Does it say that in Hebrews 11? Never forget Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Can you, can you remember that little repertoire? Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Hebrews 11, a heavenly Jerusalem. They wanted a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, in a heavenly country. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never thought that God was promising them some junk on earth. The real deal was what they were being offered. Right, right. And they understood it. Thank you, oh Lord, thank you for what you've given us. Now let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Because he wants reverent, godly fear worship in this testament as well. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Oh yes. This is one of the slickest verses in the Bible to get money out of people. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Where's the plates? Oh, we don't have any. Let's pass the plates. Jesus can't come back until the gospel is preached in the whole world. If you want Jesus to come back, we have to send more money to more missionaries so it can be preached in all the world, world so that Jesus can come back. It's a scam. Jesus was preached in all the world to all nations before 70 AD. Yes. The Apostle Paul said so ten times. Amen. This gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven, Colossians 1.6, to all the world, Colossians 1.23, Romans 10, chapter chapter 10 and verse 18, Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, and those are the ones that are in my repertoire at the moment, but we could look them all up. 
But this verse right here is before the destruction of Jerusalem, and Jesus is telling them this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of my reign, and those that have submitted themselves to me will be taught, preached in all the world for a witness unto Gentile nations. Then the end of Jerusalem will come, because that's what's under consideration. What was prophesied in Daniel, verse the very next verse. Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. That's a very practical piece of advice which they followed and were saved. And it says, then shall be great tribulation, verse 21. Earlier in this chapter it is said, the stones of the temple will be pulled apart so that not even two of them are attached to each other, and so forth. What is the abomination of desolation? All you got to do is turn to Luke 21, where the corresponding Olivet Discourse is. It's Matthew 24, it's Mark 13, it's Luke 21. Matthew 24, called the abomination of desolation. Mark 13, called the abomination of desolation, and it says, go read Daniel because he'll tell you what it means. Luke doesn't tell you to read Daniel because he's going to tell you what it means. When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies. When was Jerusalem encompassed with armies? In 70 AD. The kingdom was being preached. The kingdom was being preached, and the kingdom was preached worldwide in the days of the apostles. Because the Bible says so, and we believe them. In Mark 16, Jesus said, go and preach to every creature. And so they went everywhere preaching. We believe it. But now if you get one of these newfangled Bible versions, you're going to lose the last 12 verses of Mark 16 because they're, not, they're going to say it's not Scripture. But we still believe Mark 16, 1 through 20. Look at Mark 1, 15. We're looking for kingdom evidence that it was on earth. Mark 1, 15. Because we're trying to find what happened after Jesus died in John 12, 31 that he would say, Now! Now! is the judgment of this world. What happened? Now, same verse, same terminology, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. We're going to get to that, hopefully, before I die. In verse 33, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And he's drawn us. We're Gentiles. We're far away from the commonwealth of Israel. But those three transcendent events are huge. And we want to understand them. Mark 1.15, this is John preaching, and his terminology is just a little different. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. So there must be some prophet in the Old Testament that had foretold about this event and put a time frame on it. I wonder where we would go for that. Do you think the 70 weeks of Daniel? I love these verses. There was a kingdom brought into this world, and it turned the world upside down. But it's an invisible kingdom because it's spiritual. What we're doing in here is invisible to everyone else, and it's really invisible to us. We see each other, but we don't see all the aspects that I just read in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. You don't see any of them. You see poor choice of paint. Oh, whoever picked it, I'm sorry. You know, cheap drapes, fluorescent light fixtures. There's nothing impressive. But Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 is impressive. Whoever picked that paint, I love it. I want, I want my office painted that color. I know what it's there for. It's to make this pasty guy that looks like he's been in San Quentin for 50 years to, with a little bit of life. If you put me horizontal, they'd say he's been dead for a week. The hesitation is not because of, yes it is, because I don't know what to say, because I've got hundreds of verses to look at, and we don't have time for hundreds of verses. Let's look at Luke 9.10. Let's jump to the third gospel. Luke chapter 9. Oh, Lord Jesus, if I am your ambassador, and I believe by faith I am, then I want to tell these people that you are a king, you've been a king, you'll always be a king, your kingdom is wonderful, glorious, great, and has taken in Gentiles from all over the world, including us poor people in the Piedmont of the Carolinas. Luke 9, verse 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils, oh yes, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
So the kingdom of God is being announced, preached, pushed, pressed, and men are going into it right and left. That's Luke 9. Let's go to Luke 10. Next chapter, verse 9. And heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, this is the cities that they would come to, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Kingdom of God's here. Verse 11. And if they reject them, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Remember? If you reject the second kingdom, it's worse than rejecting the first one. If you reject the second covenant, it's worse than rejecting the first one. And so look at the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us. We do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. That is serious stuff. Because it's a serious king. And he's our king. 1616, so that we can look at a verse that I just quoted. I don't want you to take my word for anything. We want the words of the living God preserved for us in our Bibles. Luke 16, 16. There are three dispensations in the history of the world. 2,500 years from Adam to Moses, called the patriarchal age. There are not seven dispensations. That's entirely a man-made scheme. There is one dispensation, Adam to Moses. Romans 5, verse 14 says it. Then there is Moses and the, the, covenant, the, the covenant with Israel. 1,500 years, 1,500 B.C. to Christ. Then there is Christ to Christ. First coming to second coming. But here we go. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. That is, the second, second dispensation of Moses lasted until John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. We just looked at a number of rest, references and could have looked at many more. And every man presseth into it. Would you tell me how you can press into something that doesn't exist? Would you tell me how you can press into something that is postponed? How do you press into it? When somebody wants to come and follow Christ with us, do they have to do some pressing? Do we want them to repent of their sins? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Be baptized to follow their Savior and His example? Live a life that shows repentance, bringing forth fruits, meat for repentance? like John did of his audience, that's pressing into the kingdom of God. Look at Acts 2. Let's see if Peter believed that the kingdom had come and that Jesus was on his throne. I preached this to you not too long ago as we went through this chapter verse by verse because it so gloriously fulfills John chapter 7. Remember in John 7, Jesus said that the Holy Ghost is going to come and he is going to be like rivers of living water inside you. But the Holy Ghost has not yet been given because Jesus hasn't yet been glorified. Was the Holy Spirit given on Pentecost? Yes. Then Jesus must have been glorified sometime between Passover and Pentecost. And he was. How was he glorified? He was crowned the king of the universe. Revelation chapter 5 is the picture of it. But here we go. This is Peter. He's a Jew. If he was holding something out for the future, he sure didn't know about it here. Maybe it was a later vision when he bought a Schofield Bible. Acts 2, 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Being by the right hand of God exalted. Jesus then, just he had just left them a week earlier, is at the right hand of God exalted. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, because God gave the Holy Spirit to Jesus, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. The gift at Pentecost was a gift from God to Jesus, from Jesus to believers, the church. For David is not ascended into the heavens, because he's just quoted from Psalm 110. David is not ascended, or he's going to. David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord that is Jehovah, because of the all capital letters, the Lord said unto my Lord, that's Jesus Christ, David's Lord, yet David's son, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. That's Psalm 110. Therefore, let's draw a conclusion, Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. This is something we know assuredly, and that's why I preach assuredly. 
Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. Psalm 110 has been fulfilled. Psalm 2 is fulfilled. God has set his king upon his holy hill of Zion, and he did it 2,000 years ago. And Jesus has been reigning. And the angels welcomed him into that throne and sang his praises in Revelation chapter 5. And the whole New Testament ascribes to, the, to him the fact that he is on his throne. When John wrote in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, he says he was on the Isle of Patmos for the kingdom of God. He was in the kingdom of God, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Apostle Paul, when he gathered the Jews, the Jewish leadership of Rome together, it's in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of Acts, when Paul gathered the Jewish leadership in Rome who didn't know about him. That's how far removed Rome was from Jerusalem in those days because of transportation and the lack of your cell phone. But in Acts chapter 28, he called them together, verse 23, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. Because the kingdom of God and Jesus go hand in hand. Right. It's not some future earthly thing. It's a spiritual, glorious, wonderful thing that Abraham sought, Moses understood, John understood, the apostles understood, and we understand. But it's been stolen from so many. Verse 30. Let's close out the book of Acts. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I wonder what he talked about. Well, then go read Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Hebrews, and you'll know what he talked about. Amen. And do you know what? Is there anything there about some earthly Jewish nation, preeminence? None, none whatsoever, not at all, no way, no way, Ray. Because there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. You say, I can't see it. What can't you see? I just don't see his kingdom. Okay, that's good. We're on the right track so far. Let's go to Luke 17, just a couple more minutes. Luke 17. I, please remember these verses. If you want to see something with these little bags of mucous membrane that are hanging into, in two holes of your skull... If you want to see something through these, you are making a fatal mistake when it comes to doctrine. If you can see it by the reflection of it in these balls of mucous membrane and muscle, then it is temporal and worthless. You say, what about my wife? Well, you ain't going to be married to her in heaven. Does that cover me? What about your car? It's got a hot future. It's just all going away. And so the Jews had the mistake that when they read the scriptures, all they could see is David's son is going to make us great again in Jerusalem and all nations are going to come and worship God with us. And all they could think is an earthly capital, an earthly city, an earthly temple with some son of David sitting on a little chair inside that thing and us paying tribute and sending F-15s or whatever. I don't want to get you distracted with that Zionist idea. All carnal. Is there a kingdom with a capital city of Jerusalem on Mount Zion with Jesus Christ sitting on his throne and all nations have God's elect in them that have embraced that kingdom and followed that Savior. Absolutely. Is it visible to the world? No, Paul said, and John both said, 
They don't know us, just like they didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. If the rulers of this world had known that Jesus of Nazareth was God's son, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know him. They don't know us because we're invisible to them and our kingdom. And it's not just us. Did you hear how many churches? There's 500,000 Baptist churches in the world right now. There's 500,000 Baptist churches in the world with 105 million members. Many of them are associated with the World Baptist Alliance, and we don't want to go there very long. And that's about 40% of them. Many of them are pitiful. But that's in all nations of the earth. Do you know what nation has the second highest density of Baptists in the world? It ain't Canada. Ukraine. The Ukraine. Shocking, isn't it? What nation do you think it'd be? You'd, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's surprising. But thank you, Lord, that there's Baptist churches everywhere that have pressed into the kingdom of heaven and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 17 tells us this. When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God needs an indeterminate number of years, at least 2,000, before the millennium kingdom. Then you can have your kingdom, Pharisees. No, he didn't say that. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. This is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, our king, our king, telling us how to view his kingdom. If you want to see something, you're making a fatal mistake for doctrine. It's going to mess you up. Because that long list that I read in Hebrews 12, can you see any of it? The heavenly Jerusalem, the general assembly, the spirits of just men made perfect. Can you see any of that? It is invisible. Is it real? Have we come to it? Are we part of it? Are they part of us? Are there angels in this assembly? We can't see them, but that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you this way, and it's among you as a group of people. Yet, that kingdom that they promote for the future is very visible. It's only visible. It doesn't have spiritual qualities. There are animal sacrifices revived. Unbelievable blasphemy against Jesus Christ. He would never allow an animal sacrifice to be revived. How do they get that idea? They go in the Old Testament and find a prophecy of future glory of Israel involving sacrifices, and they can only think literally. How else would a prophet explain to a Jew of the Old Testament that in the future is going to be intense worship of God that exceeds anything we've had before? Are they going to say there's going to be a local church of Gentiles just off of 385 South in Greenville of the Carolinas? Or would they say there's going to be sacrifices? Are the New is the New Testament worship like we're giving God today called a sacrifice? Yeah. It, it absolutely is. Our sacrifices are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 5. The sacrifice of praise from our lips. Hebrews 13, 15. That's what happens. If you, if you read a word and you have to think this way, what you can see, remember what Jesus said. This, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo, here, or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual kingdom that's invisible. Look at John 18. Oh, there's more to be said in Luke 17, but I, I hope you read that last evening in your preparation reading for today's... We want John 18 right now because Jesus made another remark and descriptive statement about his kingdom because Pilate's questioning him when he's on trial verse 36 John 18 36 Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world Pilate you're asking me about whether I'm a king you bet I'm a king but I'm not a king the way you're thinking 
and I'm not a king the way the Jews are thinking. I'm a different king. I'm not of this world. If you, if you, if you lay hold of that, you know, this is, this is hermeneutics. This is Jesus telling us how to interpret Scripture. Amen. Let me jump back there to all those Old Testament prophecies that you read. At break time, I was having a good time with some young men going over Psalm 8. I think it's eight verses long. It's a very short little psalm. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? Uh, you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've, you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've, you've put oxen and cattle under his feet. You've put birds under his feet. You've put the fish of the sea under his feet. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, and it's over. Psalm 8. First pass, you read it, you say, yeah. The first verse is, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Last verse, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What is man that thou art mindful of him? You've made him great, you've given him some glory. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. Did Genesis chapter 1 give us dominion? You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. The cattle are under his feet. He trains cattle, uses cattle, fish. He fishes, he fries them. He has fish fillets at McDonald's. I mean, the whole works is all there. And you, and you can read it and you can say, why does the Lord take notice of a man who's under the angels and all we've done is train some birds and fish and animals? You think I've got this? I think I've got the psalm nailed down. Then you come to the New Testament Hebrews 2 quotes the psalm mm -hmm. and says, Paul said, but we don't see everything under the feet of man. Right. It's, there's that little thing in there and put all things under his feet, but we don't see everything put under the feet of man. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't have Hebrews 2. You'd be thinking of a circus. You know, some, somebody training an elephant to stand on a ball. That's having dominion. But it's Jesus. It's Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom isn't going to have a capital in this world. My kingdom isn't going to have its military in this world. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. How many times does he have to say it? Are we all convinced? I hope we're all convinced. My kingdom is not of this world. It's of another world, of a world to come. It's a spiritual world where all the greater things are taking place. There's spiritual wars and conflict going on that far exceed anything that ever happens physically. Paul warned us in Ephesians 6, don't worry about flesh and blood. What can they do to hurt you? Right. There's a whole warfare going on that is not flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. There is power in this air, angelic power of both kinds, holy and elect angels, and fallen and devilish angels. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. They would not have given me over so easily that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Now, not then, now is my kingdom not from hence, meaning not from here. We're not of this place. The stone that was cut out of the mountain that destroyed the empires of Babylon, Greece, Persia, and Rome was cut out without hands. It was a divine supernatural kingdom that destroyed it. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God has put Jesus Christ far above all principalities and powers, thrones, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come. Can you see that? Is the New York Times going to tell us about it this afternoon? Can you see it? Did they teach it in school? Well, some of you go to better schools than others. Can you see it? Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18. How much power is that? That's all of it. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And they did. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. This world was held in bondage for 4,000 years and God let them have it. God let them worship devils, every kind of stone, image, sun, and uh, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, Molech, Baal. It didn't matter. God let them do it. And the New Testament tells us in Acts 14 and Acts 17 
that he winked at it right. and overlooked their ignorance right. for 4,000 years. Satan was the prince of this world, and he let them have it. But when Jesus sent those apostles out, those unlearned, ignorant fishermen from Galilee, but full of the Holy Ghost, they turned the world upside down. Paul stood on Mars Hill, and I've said this to you, and I want you to, I want you to embrace all this and see the change that took place in the world. They were told that they were wrong for the first time in 4,000 years. The scriptures had only been sent to Israel for those 1,500 years from Moses to John the Baptist. Psalm 147, 19 and 20 tells us no other nation on earth had the written revelation of God except the Jews. They were left in their ignorance. But the Apostle Paul stood there with the most learned and intellectual educated men on earth, the philosophers of Athens, Greece, and told them that they were all too superstitious. They did not understand the, the nature of a divine being. What in the world were they building temples thinking they could confine a spirit that created the world? And he explained all that, and he told them that God had sent his son, that his son rose from the dead, and rising from the dead was evidence that Jesus Christ was going to judge the earth. That is a whole new message they had never heard. And the world was turned upside down. He, Paul walked out of that assembly and Dionysius the Areopagite. I wonder why he was called the Areopagite. He must have either lived there or was there all the time, followed Paul out. And a woman named Damaris followed Paul out because there were conversions made. And the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ spread throughout the world and it's here. It's invisible. Right. And it's far greater than anything could ever be that's visible. Visible is a Zionist fable. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 1, don't preach Jewish fables. What is the Jewish fable? The Jewish fable is Jewish restoration to preeminence with an earthly kingdom, with their Messiah. But the Messiah has come, established his kingdom, sat down on his throne, and is ruling the universe. And he's dashing the nations in pieces. There is no Babylonian empire. There is no Persian, Greek, or Roman. It's this little nation, this little nation, this just all these nations dashed in pieces for the last 2,000 years. And the gospel has had free course and been preached in all those nations, and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. And it came even to us. And we're part of that kingdom. When we're baptized, we swear allegiance to the King of the kingdom, Amen. the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I will copy what you did for me to show you that I am burying my old worldly self to rise to walk in a new life for you, my King. Mm -hmm. And I know that your power is so great that if I die before you come back to this earth to judge it, you will resurrect my body from the ground and recompose all of its cells into a body and glorify it to house my spirit for eternity. This I believe, as I am dipped by the power of another into the waters of baptism and raised again. I am showing you, my king, three pictures of burial and resurrection, yours, mine, and the future resurrection of my body, because you are the king of the universe. You have the power of life, death, eternal life, the lake of fire, hell, the devil, and the fear of death that held all the devil's minions at bay. What a wonderful kingdom we have. Much, Amen. much, much more could be said through faith. Not now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, mm-mm-mm-mm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you have faith today? You should be able to see the kingdom of God. Well, look at us. Think of the worst time in your life when you were the farthest from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What in the world are you doing here today? Right. Amen. There was a king called the stronger man by himself in Luke 11 that came to the strong man and delivered you from his palace Amen. and spoiled that strong man's goods. And he brought you here. We love to sing about him. We love to fellowship about him. We love to follow his rules. My final point is what I put in Friday's update. One of the, one of the few points I made on Friday. Jesus rules. 
or Jesus rules. Now, because I said it, you can't tell the difference, can you? But when you read it, it was Jesus rules or Jesus rules. The second Jesus had a little, a little hanging doodad up there behind that S. And so it made it possessive. Jesus rules. Oh, we love to shout that one, don't we? Jesus rules. We believe it. We love it. Jesus reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We love it. Jesus, with a little apostrophe, his rules. Right. Meaning he has some rules for us. So Jesus rules, yes, but we want the other part as well. If he's the king that we're reading about, that king said, if you neglect even the least of my commandments, you are least in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to emphasize everything, so we try to emphasize everything. Let's go out of this place serving that king in every part of our lives. We have heard his word. We've read his word. We know that his word applies and has rules for every part of our lives. This, he has many rules for how we talk, many rules for what we look at, many rules for what we think, rules for our marriages, rules for our children, rules about the government, rules about every ordinance of man, rules about our church, rules on how to love, rules on we should love. And they're not bad rules. They're wonderful rules. His rules are not grievous. They are win-win-win rules. They are for your prosperity. They are for your profit and his glory. Let's believe that Jesus rules, and let's believe Jesus rules and do them. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Please stand with me.